you know, one of the most magnificent things about caring for somebody is that you learn so much about them. You learn about the woman that they were. I'm so grateful that Grand like chose me to kind of be her carer. Hello, I'm Caroline and welcome to the Every Small Step podcast from Dementia Carers Count. We're really excited to bring you a special bonus episode to end our week. Today we hear from Shobana and Mimisha. Namisha cares for her grandmother who has Alzheimer's. Namisha took on her caring role straight after university and has cared for her grandmother for the last 10 years. Shobna Gulati is an award-winning actor, dancer, choreographer and presenter, working across theatre, dance, film, radio and television. Her career has spanned over three decades and she became a household name for her role as Anita in Victoria Wood's Dinner Ladies, and a Sunita in Coronation Street. Shobna cared for her mother who was diagnosed with dementia and died last year. Hi, my name's Nimisha. I look after my grandmother who's got Alzheimer's. Yeah, I'm like the youngest granddaughter and kind of just fell into the role, to be honest. My name is Shobna Galati. I'm an, I'm an actor uh, by trade and um, um, I'm the third daughter of a family of four and uh, my mum was diagnosed with dementia in 2017. She since died. She died in November of last year. Well I literally just finished uni, moved back home and I then mum was like saying how grand's got memory issues and that then I said all right well you're busy with work so you carry on and I was I was literally just got back from uni um so I was still kind of like I'm going to chill out before I look for a job. I moved home about 25 years ago because I was a single parent and I needed support with my son and my my mum offered me that support and during the time that we were together in the north of England together we lived just outside Manchester um me and my mum got to know each other and then as her different health concerns presented themselves um I kind of took over the role you know it, the, the the um the relationship shifted between mother and daughter uh and you know her looking after me and my son became me looking after her and supporting her in any which way I could well, everyone goes, um, like, because you're the granddaughter, she listens to you more. Because apparently parents don't listen to their children. I'm not a parent myself, so I wouldn't know. But apparently parents don't listen to their children. So she goes, so, like, with, like, the family, they're always like, well, obviously, she'll, you tell her, she'll listen to you because you're the granddaughter and she trusts you. But more than the trust, they go, it's because of the granddaughter aspect and not the, the fact that I'm not her child, I'm her grandchild. Everyone says that she listens to me more. I don't know how true that is or anything, but um, yeah, but my grand is very stubborn though. My son, interestingly enough, like uh, Nimisha, um, she often had a better relationship with my son. <laughs> uh, he too cared for mum as well. When I was trying to hold down my career, my son would uh, take my place. 
I think she had a better relationship with my son because she understood that he was, you know, in her eyes, a child and always a child. <laughs> you know, I mean, they, they have, my son as well has different sort of way of being. He's very, he's a very patient and very sort of laid back young man. I mean, for a, a lad in, in his early 20s, it's quite a special thing to be able to you know look after your grandmother that way but I felt that he also felt that she had cared for him so much that the bond was very very strong their relationship was maybe deeper than mine and also he's a boy and my mum loves boy children I mean maybe it's a cultural thing but you know it maybe it's the whole system of patriarchy but um she had a real sort of soft spot for boys. There's a funny anecdote uh, that she believed that cats were girls and foxes were boys. And she'd look out of the window and she'd look at, you know, what was going on in the garden because that was her only portal to outside was what was happening in the garden. She wasn't a very physical, physically active woman. She'd go, you know, go away, Billy, get out of my garden, Billy meaning cat. And, you know, I don't want the Billy in the garden. And then and she'd see the fox, she'd go, oh, come in, Mr. Fox. I've got you, I've put some food out for you. You know, kind of, it was so interesting. I mean, you know, one of the most magnificent things about caring for somebody is that you learn so much about them. You learn about the woman that they were. I went through the whole diagnosis process with her, battling with a GP to get her diagnosed and all that. And then as it came out and we spoke to her, um, we literally sat down and had a frank discussion with Grant. She said, well, I want you to do it because you know more than anyone else. And I was like, okay, but you don't, it's not like... I'm your child and she goes no but you'd do a better job than then I was like oh okay fine. My mum was a quite a, a stalwart character she's quite formidable and very and very very single-minded and she really really didn't want to have the dementia testing herself she felt that she didn't have anything wrong with her so when she was eventually diagnosed with dementia she rejected that completely and said that that's not what she's got because for her dementia uh, was a huge stigma and something that she described as being, you know, more than being senile, she says, more than being fuddy-duddy, but would, you know, actually make her appear mentally ill. And that's the one thing she did not want to appear. Oh, denial. She was like, I don't have that. I'm not, I don't have memory problems. I'm okay. And we're like, okay, fine. If you don't have it, you don't have it. Obviously, the doctors are wrong. It's opened up my eyes to so many different things that I was not aware of. Like, a big one being the fact that we are Asian at the end of the day, and the dementia, it's, it is a taboo issue in the Asian community. And I don't know why, because at the end of the day, it's still another illness, like, if you've got a pain, then you take paracetamol, but this is another condition that you have a different medication for. But it's still 
a condition, but I don't know why it's such a taboo issue. Uh, she herself was, well, I think it was about a couple of years ago, to be honest. She goes, oh, I think there's something wrong with me. I go, what's wrong? She was like, I'm forgetting things. I've left the tap on. I left the gas on the other day. I go, when did you leave the gas on? It was just a, like, out of the blue, she had this conversation um, when it was just me and her at home and no one else. Then she goes, I think there might be something wrong. I think we should go to the doctors. And that's when I said, well, you actually do have Alzheimer's. You've got this diagnosis before. She's on patches. I go, this is why you're on this one. She goes, oh, okay. And then we, I did end up taking her to the doctor. I said, look, she's actually acknowledged she's got a memory problem now. Like, and she wants to come see. He goes, yeah, just bring her in and we'll see what we can do. The struggle that we had with mum was um, as she began to forget, it was a question of um, when her tablets changed due to different varying conditions that she had, it was difficult to get her back into that routine of taking the new tablets. And I'd find myself a lot of the time with my mum uh, trying to persuade her to take a tablet. She would become very combative. As we were trying to help her do that, she wouldn't really take it from me, being as I was the third daughter and I'm not a scientist. She felt very comfortable with my brother because he's a doctor. So I'd have to ring my brother whilst he was at work and he'd phone back. He'd get mum on the phone. He'd say, you know, you know, it's, you know, it's this tablet, it's that tablet. Well, I even learned what her medication did so I could actually show her individually what the tablets did. It had an, an enormous impact on me and my relationships with my family and then my relationships with other people. And, it, you know, outside of that, as an actor, I have a very social job that we create my new Thai families wherever we go, you know, little microcosms wherever we go to work. Um, I found myself not being able to socialise within those groups because, you know, unbeknown to everybody, I'd have to travel home at a moment's notice or I'd choose to travel back and sometimes I'd drive for miles to be with my mum and then drive again to be back at work. And, you know, these kind of things were were difficult to explain. So, you know, I became quite antisocial and I think that... I kind of got to know myself a lot better in those times because I, I learned about what it is to feel isolation. I, I, I kept it to myself. Only my very, very close friends knew that I was caring for mum. And even then, um, I think they found it difficult to understand how isolating it can make you. It was hard because one time I did manage to get to Manchester Central and I looked around it and I thought, having worked there, because I was on Coronation Street for such a long time, and having worked there in town and seen the changes over the decade that I was there, and then over the time that I wasn't there and then being locked down with my mum, it was kind of, wow, it's changed and I've not even been a part of that or seen that. And it really, really sort of, blew my mind I just thought how can life happen so fast and I've missed it
in all honesty, initially, it wasn't as bad. Because she's still independent now, to be fair. Um, But it was like, because we just got the diagnosis, it was, and everything I was like, basically, when I was chasing up, like, hospitals, like, you know, appointments or whatever, or I was trying to find out, right, like, you know, how what as how quickly would it progress or how slowly would dementia progress and you know what's the best thing to do like if you know about it beforehand then what's the best strategies to put in place that really occupied more of my nine to five hours like working hours because that's when I'd be able to speak to someone from you know like DCC and Brent Carers, who I've had a lot of interaction with at the beginning, because they obviously don't do nine to five. It was very much a nine to five role. Um, it wasn't so much evening and weekends unless Gran was unwell, which is understandable. But yeah, so it wasn't that bad. And one thing I did learn the hard way is my true friends they would just be like, you know what, you just tell us when to come over and we'll come to your house if you can't come out. And I was like, okay, fine. Like, if that's what you're going to do, then we do that. They go, yeah, we'll just come to your house and, you know, like we're not going to either cook or get takeaway or whatever. And we'll just stay at yours instead of going out. So it wasn't too bad. But then it got, like, weekends-wise, it was then, like, friends were like, no, do not, we're taking you out. So they'll just be like to my mum that, you know what, we're taking her out but don't tell her up until the morning because I'd I'd just be like no 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 I can't leave ground like what if something happens it was like it was care anxiety it really was care anxiety at the beginning at the initial stage it was very very care anxiety and I was like oh my god um you know like what if something happens to her and I'm not there mom and dad won't know what to do I think the sense of isolation that my mum must have felt than the one that I was feeling at the time I didn't marry them together. I, I didn't marry them together because there was so much day-to-day to get through, the present day, the shopping, the persuading her to eat, the persuading her to drink was always very difficult as well. If you're not one to drink a lot of water, and then as we do know, water absolutely helps a hydrated brain is a better functioning brain as we all know I was in my bedroom that I'd grown up in um you know and stayed in as a child and you know I didn't have anybody to you know talk to so communication about feelings and I think that's the key that's what isolation's about when you can't communicate your feelings I didn't compare the two at the time, but now I really see it because I I wrote a book about my mum and her experience and our experience of caring for her with dementia. And, you know, being locked in and isolated during the pandemic really helped me channel her. But at that point, I felt the connections. I wrote a book called Remember Me During Lockdown. It's this story about when I, I sort of say it's discovering my mother as she lost her memory. It's the story about how things that are lost 
can come back in the most surprising of ways. So it's um, yeah, I wrote that. I wrote that, and you know, it's it's really helped me understand, you know, what what happened with my mum and how dementia affected her, and how it impacted me and my family, and uh, how you know, and how through the book I've been able to find comfort and I, I hope that in writing the book that it would resonate with other people that find themselves in a similar position uh, No, she has changed definitely um, but during well, obviously being with her 24-7 I've learned a lot about her but it is nice that I've got that kind of relationship with her and that I am I am a lot more closer to her than anyone else. I think the intimacy between my mum and I developed over time. Um, it, um, it, we were a very, we were never very um, sort of physical. We didn't even tell each other that we loved each other. It was really comforting to be able to touch mum and for her to, you know, to, you know, to, to feel comforted by it because you could see it in her face, to kissing her forehead. I mean, I think it's really extraordinary when I say that to people because they think, oh, well, why didn't you ever do that before? But we didn't. And I took to kissing her forehead and she'd look at me and I think, wow, she feels comforted. And that, and that was enough, you know. That was just enough and that was, you know, it brought me great, great joy because the day-to-day -day looking after somebody with dementia who's not accepting of it and who is quite a formidable character is really, really tough. Uh, lockdown was challenging at the best of times because Gran is still very social. And obviously, with the pandemic, she couldn't go out anywhere. So trying to keep her occupied at home was a job and a half. And she got frustrated with the Zoom calls and all that as well. She's like, no, nope, I'm done with the computer now. I don't want to use it anymore. So it was just challenging trying to keep her occupied constantly throughout the day. But I wouldn't, anything, everything of the past 10 years, I would never change that. And I, I'm so grateful that I got that. Grand like chose me to kind of be her carer, and you know, and then you see what really interestingly happened was she she stopped talking about Dad herself until you know just a few weeks before she died when she really recalled my father and he was almost alive. You know, I almost replaced my dad in the car next to her. She was talking to him. Those kind of things are unexpected. Um, and you just got, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm just so grateful that I had the chance to be there, to listen, you know, even at times, even though at times it was tough and, you know, like any human being, you can be, you know, bogged down into that day-to-day -day chore of looking after somebody, which is hard. That somebody was your mum. Thank you to Shobna and Namisha and to all our podcast guests this week. 
We've really enjoyed bringing you a wide variety of stories from carers and we hope you've enjoyed listening to all the episodes. Thank you also for those that have been able to get out and virtually walk with us this week. Thank you to the teams at Dementia Carers Count and Run 2 events and thank you to all of you for your support this week. Please do continue to share your stories on our Facebook page and if you'd like to find out more about the courses that Dementia Carers Count provide, please visit the website at dementiacarers.org.uk.